As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Welcome to the One Haas Alumni Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and today we're joined by Jaime Rahul Zapeta. He is a EWMBA class of 2019. Welcome to the podcast, Jaime. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. We are here in the midst of Hispanic Heritage Month, which is always a fun time of year. I always love, I feel like it's an excuse for me to get together even more so uh, <laughs> with my Hispanic friends. And living in Southern California, it's just, I really get to enjoy a lot of good food. A lot of good Mexican food down there. Oh, yeah. Speaking of that, can you tell us where you're from, where you grew up, just a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the story starts with my parents. So my dad is a small business owner. He still hustles to this day. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I was inspired to go get an MBA, because I was raised by an entrepreneur. And he has a small business and his first business partner, his number one employee was my mom. And as with any family businesses go, they work together on everything. They set everything up and my dad started with a van, $200, and my mom pregnant as his first employee and, and business partner. And it was a working class family. So I grew up in a working class family and I grew up in Mexico. So I grew up in Mexico for the first 16, 17 years of my life. Whereabouts? Right north of northern Mexico, like right by Tijuana. Okay. Yeah. Mexico is a big country. Does <laughs> I always have to ask? It's so diverse. It's huge. And you know, my dad is from central Mexico, Michoacan, and my mom is from Mexico City. And so we ended up up north, about 10, 15 miles south of the U.S. border. And so it's a very, anybody out there who's like listening on, who's raised by the border, either on the American side or in the Mexican side, will tell you that it's a very different experience because there's a, this nice little blending of the two cultures that happens all the time. And so that was true for us. So I was in a working class family. We had enough to get by. We weren't rich or thankfully we weren't poor, but I was raised there until I was 17. And, you know, like my parents just, I love them very much. They're still with me and they just said, this fantastic example. My dad set this example for me to just always dream, always like chase what you want, hustle for what you're looking for, like work hard. And my mom, very same, very same things, but she also had this layer of always serve your community. She came from some of the poorest parts of Mexico and her going from being very poor to working class was just like a blessing for her. And so she was just always very grateful about it. And she would always rally us and our neighbors and our friends and just saying, we got to go out there and help people because there's people who have less than we do. And so we'd be out there cutting hair for people in the street for free. We'd be packaging up lunches and taking them to people who were in jail. Because unfortunately, in a lot of places in Mexico, if you go to jail, you don't get fed at all. And that was just like very little. So my mom knew this and she's like, let's do something about that. Like she would personally go out. In the town that we were in, which was, there was a lot of poverty there. And she would teach adults how to read and write. So I was just kind of like saw that. It's like, you know, hustle, do well, but also do good. And then I finally made my way to the U.S. when I was 17. I landed in Rockford, Illinois, of all places. I went to high school there. Yeah, very far away. <laughs> so I went from, <laughs> you know, growing up in this town that was 
you know, I was half a mile from the beach to now going Midwest, Midwest, brutal yeah. winters, scraping ice off of my windshield <laughs> every car, morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Michigan. My wife's from Chicago. So we're Midwesterners. We, so you we know. know exactly what I'm talking about. I love Chicago, but the winners, the winners, man, they built some character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know you what? Know? I've never heard anyone say that. That's the best way to put it. What, one thing that I do love and, and I miss, I miss the Midwest for many reasons, but one of the things I really miss about it is the fact that there's seasons because when it's summer and you know this really well, right? When it's summer, you're like, it's summer. Like we got to do everything. Because <laughs> yeah, you know what happens after summer, like fall yeah. is like, okay, we can still do some stuff. And then winter is like, we don't see the light of day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just, we're not going to leave the house. It starts late spring. If you remember when it, it oh, gets yeah. to 40 degrees, you're just like, oh, this already feels like everyone's in shorts here, 40 degrees. Everyone's in parkas. <laughs> no, here, 40 degrees. People think that the world's falling apart. Starts yeah. raining. <laughs> like people forget how to drive. Yeah, or exactly. they're like, oh, it's only four inches of snow. I can do that. I can get to work. No worries. I just got to go a little bit slower. So, you know, I made my way there. How'd you end up there? Did you have family there? I did have some family there. And this is where the story gets a little bit weirder, too, because I decided, I still don't know why I did this. I decided that I just wanted to live on my own because I had family that I could have stayed with. I was 17 at the time. So I wasn't, you know, I was kind of at the cusp there being technically an adult. And my parents were like, okay, we have people over there. Let's sit you up over there and then do that. I said, no, I want to do this on my own. And I think, I don't know, I'm still not sure why that 17 year old kid decided to do that. But I think it was, it was just something that I still have like to this day is I want to like figure it out. I want to test myself to see how much can I do? I relied a lot on the people that were there once I got there. So I wasn't just like saying, oh, I'm a lone wolf and I'll figure it out. I relied on the family. I, I mean, I was, I was technically still going to high school. So I was going to high school during the day because I was on my own. I had to change clothes and go to work. I had a full-time job after that. So I had a very different experience, but teachers at high school knew about that. Eventually they knew that I was my own guardian. And it was awesome because there were just some teachers that I still remember to this day, like Mr. Bird, Mr. Allen, who knew that. And they would just, just come in and say, you know, you need some help, Jaime. I know that you're, you got a lot. You could do that homework tomorrow. Okay, I know. Or they would just see me coming in exhausted for having worked the day before. And they could tell I was just dozing off in the back. And they would just swing by every now and then be like, you okay? You're right. And it was just awesome because it was like those little moments that just taught me to appreciate the community that I had yeah. around me at all times. And I still bring that to this day. Like, you know, I still believe educators are amazing nation builders. My wife is an educator and I think they're amazing, but I had some community that helped me out. It was really tough. It was really rough. And I thought I was going to stay there, to be honest, in Illinois, because I was, I was going to high school. I was doing all right. I wasn't doing great, but I was like, I know I'm going to graduate. And by my senior year, I was working at a call center. So I started working as a janitor and then I was working at Taco Bell of all places for a long time. And then I got a sweet gig at a call center. I went from making a $8 an hour to $9.50, which is like, whoa. And so I did really well there. My English got a lot better because it just had to get better. And I became an assistant supervisor there at the call center. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just ride this out. I'll just see where this goes. I don't need to go to college. I could just stay here and work. And I'm getting paid $10.50 an hour, which is pretty yeah. sweet. In the know? Midwest. 
just give people some context. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah exactly. Well, and also funny enough, because I looked back on that time and I remember it's like I didn't I was scraping by. I didn't have much furniture in my apartment. I had a chair, which now looking back and thinking about it, it's a pretty sad setting. It's like I had a chair, like one of those kind of wicker chairs. I had a TV. I had a table and I, I used the chair. I had to move the chair around when I watched TV or what I had to sit down and eat. And then I had my bed and then I had a microwave and a, and a fridge, but that was it. That was my furniture because I couldn't afford anything else. And so I look back and I'm like, I remember that I got pretty deep in debt because I had to use credit cards for everything else that I couldn't afford. And I looked it up and I found that I, for the wage that I had at that time, I was technically below the poverty line or I was like right there at the poverty line. And even in the Midwest, that was pretty low. But then I just, you know, I... I remember what my parents taught me, like your education is your inheritance. We can't help you get to college, but we really hope that you do. And I applied to a handful of places. All of them rejected me except for one, which was St. Mary's College here in Moraga in the Bay Area. And I never visited the school because I couldn't afford to travel from Illinois to California just to check out the campus. So I just said, okay, yes, I'm going to go. I've never talked to anybody there. I don't know what the school is like. And I said yes. And so then I, once I graduated, sold everything, made my way over, and I've been in the Bay Area ever since. That's an amazing story. And I definitely can relate a l- little bit. It's mm, very sure. fresh. I, my parents came here as immigrants and paved the way for me, the same as what you're doing for your family and your kids. Made it a lot easier for my life, definitely. So what I can relate with is your spirit of wanting to put yourself into an uncomfortable situation just to challenge yourself. And that was kind of my case when I moved out to LA was after college was, you know, all my friends naturally being in the Midwest, they went to Chicago, they went to New York and nobody went to LA. (laughs) So I was like, you know what? I don't know anybody there. Can I just put myself there so that I'm forced to meet new people and and learn some new things? And that's what I did. I I remember, I mean, all I had was just a mattress on the ground. I should know when I moved out, it was just a, it was just a, a sleeping bag that I had in my car when I drove out. And I slept on that for, I think, two months until one of my buddy, a friend that I met out here gave me a, an air mattress that had like a, actually, you know, air mattresses have those things, those columns in the middle that stick to two sides together. Yeah. One of them broke. And so I just had this huge hump in my air mattress. <laughs> so your but, back was totally whacked. But looking back, you know, it didn't feel that bad. I was like, I'm roughing it and I'm loving it in some ways. But I just remember when I got my bed three months, like finally bought a mattress, could afford one for Thanksgiving, like a Thanksgiving sale, obviously. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> just a mattress on the ground. Uh, so you can appreciate I, this stuff. I think you and I are weird people, right? We're like weird, rare people. Because most people, well, no, I think there's a generalization. A lot of people would just say, go to what you know. Yeah. Go where you know people. And that makes a lot of sense. I, I totally see why people would do that. But I think there's something in people like you and me where like, no, but then what's, what's the fun in that? Like, you know, what's yeah. I'm going to be the same person at the end of that journey than I am right now. I don't want that. I want to like test myself, learn something about myself. I don't know what it is. I don't know if you have, have thought about this too, but I thought about it because my wife is not like that. And most people that I meet are not like that. And except that like a Haas, one of the things that I loved about Haas is I met a lot of like-minded people who, especially, you know, like the evening weekend program, you're doing that on top of everything else. Right. right? And nothing against the full-timers out there, but when you're full-timer, you're like, okay, this is what I'm doing, right? For the next few years. 
when your evening weekend, you're like, I'm doing everything I was doing before. And now I got to figure out how I'm adding this rigorous multi-year challenge that is not cheap that I selected myself into. I like, nobody forced you to do it. So I met a lot of people like that too. And you know what? I think it's also, there's something to it where it's a kind of like a very immigrant. You talked about your family. Having done that, I wonder if like they kind of like through osmosis or something, telepathy passed that on. There's something about that where, you know, I don't know if you can see it, but I have like this Alexander Hamilton, right? From Hamilton. I love that show because of like just the immigrant story in it. And one of the things that I love about it is how unabashed he is about I'm here. It's a privilege for me to be here, a privilege for me to be alive right now. I'm going to do something with this. I'm not just going to say, happy to be here. Great. Let's just see where this goes. It's like, I'm going to make something out of this, right? I'm going to question the status quo. <laughs> going to drop that one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Question the status quo, for sure. I think that's a perfect segue into, into Haas. Love to hear your journey to Haas, what you did before Haas and what brought you to Haas. Yeah, sure. So after I was at St. Mary's College, had a great time there. So for anybody out there, go Gales. I love St. Mary's. I made my way to the nonprofit world because, again, it's like the spirit of my mom is go ahead and do well, but also do good. And so I just said, okay, let me try out the nonprofit world. I also tried out the education world. So I was an organizer, um, a fundraiser for education. I was a partnership. I kind of created partnerships between the nonprofit that I worked at and school districts across the country so that we could bring our curriculum for free to as many kids in the country. And then I made my way to, I guess, traditional for-profit. And I did that at a small business that was just perfect for me at the time, which was a great place to work. That's the name of the company, Great Place to Work, or GPTW. And I spent a good chunk of my time there. That's actually where I went to Haas at the same time that I was working there. Very mission-driven organization. Like the goal of that organization is to help companies create great workplaces for their employees. And it was like this beautiful emerging of let's create great companies that are sustainable, financially sustainable, obviously and growing at the exact same time. We do that by treating our employees with respect, fairness, and trust. And we helped companies do that and, and big names that, that we were doing that with. That's where I also started to build my career in customer success which is where I am right now. We didn't have a customer success department. And so the CEO there, Michael Bush, who is still a mentor and friend to me to this day, said, hi, man, you know a lot about the clients. You know a lot about what we need. How about you build us a customer success department? And I said, sure. I have no idea what any of that is. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. And it was funny because I was doing that at the exact same time that I was going to Haas. And so it was this amazing opportunity to learn something and, and then apply it, learn it, apply it, learn it, apply it, which I think is, again, if anybody out there remembers their or went to the part-time program, EWMBA, that was one of the things that I loved about it the most. It was hard because you had to switch from work to school to work to school all the time, but it gave you this amazing opportunity to apply it right away and test this out. So I did that, but you know, back, backtracking a little bit, why Haas? I thought for a long time is like, I want to learn the language of business. And that largely came from my dad. So my dad, he lives and breathes business. He's just a, a salesperson and a business person to the core. He loves it. He is 
turning 83 this year. Yeah. And he still like dreams about, well, you know, if I had more time, I could build this other business or I'm thinking about pivoting the business in this way. And it's a small business. It's not like an empire, but he just thinks about it. He loves thinking about that sort of stuff. And so I just kind of grew up doing that. And I think that I just have that fascination with it too. Is like, I want to learn the language of business really well. And people told me that you should take a look at getting an MBA. Michael Bush, again, my, my mentor told me that. And as I was looking for you know, around for programs, I, I noticed that not all of them are the same. And again, no offense to Stanford or Wharton, but they have a certain culture that is not my jam, right. <laughs> you know? Right. And I think everybody out there knows what I mean. So I, was, I would talk to people there. I'm like, hmm, you're obviously very smart and capable, but I just, we're not clicking. We're not thinking about this in the same way. And I just, as I was having conversations about this, somebody said, well, you should check out Berkeley. They're pretty amazing. Like they got some really good stuff. They're doing a lot of work on their culture. Uh, this is when Dean Lyons, he was like working on that and bringing it out. And as soon as I started talking to people there, people who had graduated from their professors, staff, absolutely right. And I, that's where I need to go. I didn't apply anywhere else. I applied there. I didn't get in the first time. And then I applied a couple of years after that and I got in and I was super excited. That's amazing. What have you been doing since? I mean, it hasn't been that long. You've been quite busy. You're, you know, uh, a candidate for state Senate among many other things. We'll love to hear what you've been up to. Sure. Yeah. So right after I graduated, so I graduated in May of 2019, I, I got a, a really cool opportunity to work at LinkedIn. So I became a, a regional manager of customer success at LinkedIn, and I was there for close to two and a half years. I just left about a month ago because I got this other great opportunity at the startup where we essentially, it's a virtual recruiting platform that connects companies to a uniquely qualified, diverse pool of talent that we have. And it's a funny story here, which, which kind of goes back to the community that I just talked about. This was 2016. So this was, I think, August of 2016. I'm about to start my first year at Haas and I'm at SFO. So I'm at SFO waiting for my plane. I was going to New York at the time that the company that I was working for had an office in New York and we had to go there for a meeting. So I'm waiting there to, do, to board my plane. And as you all remember the summer before, I guess more recently, right? I don't know about the OGs if this was the case back then. But before you started, they said, have that statistics book and take a look at it because we're going to be reviewing it very quickly. And there's going to be pop quizzes. I don't know if you all remember that. And yep. so I was like, statistics, I do not love statistics. So I'm going to get ahead of this as quickly as I can, as early as possible. So I had this big statistics book as I'm waiting to board my plane. I'm just like leafing through it. And this young woman in front of me, she's like, excuse me. I'm like, yeah, why are you reading that book? And I said, oh, I'm reading it because I have to read it because I'm starting school for this in a couple of months. She's like, oh, me too. And I was like, what school do you go to? And it's like, well, I'm actually going to go to uh, Berkeley. I'm going to go to Berkeley Haas. She's like, what? Me too. And I said, really? Well, I'm on the evening weekend program. She's like, what? I am too. <laughs> and I said, whoa, okay. What cohort are you in? Yeah. And she's like, I'm an axe. It's like, I'm an axe too. And so that was Tess Peppers. I was going to guess so, that. Yeah. Yeah. It was Tess Peppers. <laughs> and so she was the first person that I ever met at Haas before I even started. And the reason that story is funny, not just because that I, you know, happened to bump into someone that was going to the same program. She was flying, I think, to Philadelphia and I was flying to New York, but we were all going the same plane is because fast forward to two months ago, 
she is the chief product officer of Hive Diversity. And I was checking their website and I said, hey, Tess, I see that you're looking for a uh, vice president of customer success. It's like, what's that about? And she's like, well, are you interested? It's like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm not looking, but I'd be open to doing it. Within three days, she talks to the CEO there and I have an offer letter in my inbox. Wow. And now I happen to be working right next to Tess Peppers every single day. <laughs> that's come full circle, right? That's amazing. Come full circle. Yeah. And so that's what I'm telling you, like the community at Haas is just amazing. I love Tess. Even though you guys are a year above me, I had the privilege of going to SIB Brazil with her. Yeah. It was fun. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. I heard that was a lot of fun. I went to SIB China. And Shanghai, that was right? We went to, we started out in Beijing and then we went to Shanghai. Got it. Got yeah. It. That's amazing. Tell us a little bit about Hive, what you're doing there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm still pretty new. I've only been here for a month as of yesterday, actually. And we're doing some really cool stuff at Hive. And that was the reason that, you know, within three days, I knew that I wanted to be there and it all worked out really well. So I'm now the SVP of customer and people success. So I'm managing the customer success side of the company as well as the people side. Because I had a lot of experience doing that when I was a great place to work. We were consulting, essentially, HR departments. So I worked with HR a lot. And so what Hive does is we have this uh, amazing product where it's a virtual recruiting platform. We bring in candidates, usually like current students, early career, recent graduates that are looking to get an internship, get a full-time job. So we focus on the earlier career, younger talent. Like undergrads. Um, yeah, undergrads are just recently graduated. They wanted four years after graduation, starting out. And we connect them to brands like American Express, you know, Disney, Goldman Sachs. And the thing that makes us different is as these candidates come in to what we call like the hive and they sign up to, to be part of our candidate community, is they have to do a couple of things that at least that I'm aware of nobody else does right now, which is they have to go through a sort of education process, training process that teaches them why DNI is important. And so by them having to go through this before they can even apply to anything, they're more uniquely qualified and they show their commitment to these ideas so that anybody like American Express or Disney knows if we get a candidate from Hive, we know that they already know why these sort of things matter and they're uniquely qualified. They also have the opportunity to disclose and share, they're empowered to share any of their diversities, right? Where right now it's really hard to do that. So they can share any sort of diversity on LGBTQ+, race, ethnicity. Also, if they're like a first generation college student, right? Like all these things that create our lived experiences, they get to do that. And they do that in a perfectly formatted one page resume that is intended to be designed to strip out as much implicit bias when a recruiter at another company ends up looking at it. And so that's what we do. And we've grown a lot. Like we started out with just, I think, 600 candidates in our community and we're coming up on our one year. So this is our very first year. We're coming up on our one year on October 15th and we're targeting to get 15,000 candidates in our community and working with more and more brands. So it's exciting. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. in terms of the the types of opportunities, are they focused on any area? I only ask because there's another organization that one of our alumni works at called Breakline that's focused on diverse opportunities in specifically in the tech industry. Is there anything that Hive focuses on any industries or is it just pretty broad? Yeah, right now we're intended to 
I mean, over time, we want to be as broad as possible to bring in all of the industries. We have found that we have a really good sweet spot in finance, which is unfortunately, traditionally, not very friendly to a lot of underrepresented groups. So we are making some good headway there, but we are also bringing in, you know, organizations like Accenture. Accenture is one of our partners right now, and we're doing a big event with them in a few weeks. Also consulting. They also dabble in. They're also a tech company in many ways and working with Disney. So for entertainment and also tech with Disney Plus. So yeah, our goal is to make the opportunities within the industries as broad as possible. But right now we're finding that consulting, finance, retail, fashion even is a good sweet spot for us. Yeah. So if anybody's interested, you can go to hellohive.com. Last topic. Yeah. You run for Senate, state Senate. What's that? That's about? right. <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> yeah. How did this immigrant from the northern tip of Mexico get inspired to want to serve this country in yeah. this way? It's, I've said this kind of numerous times, and I don't mean to be trite, but it's it really does come down to like my family, you know, like my, my mom's spirit of service. It was something that I've always... I've thought about it for a long time, and I actually I graduated with a political science major at St. Mary's. I graduated at the top of my department, and so it's always been something that's just been very interesting to me. So it's like politics and business have always just been super fascinating for me because in politics, really, if you do it really well, uh, and if you do it for the right intentions, it is to empower people. It is to move the levers of government through laws, policies, and movements so that more people get more power. To get elected is not to get power, but to give power, as I always think about it. Business is very similar in many ways, too. If, if business, in my, this is my belief, if business is done really well, it is to create a sustainable, positive agent of change in society. And that's Largely why I've only worked at organizations where I believe what they do, not just because it's a good paycheck, but because I believe they're actually doing good to society and are able to sustain that because of the business model they have. You know, what I was thinking about this, and this really came out a lot last year during the beginning of the pandemic, is because of the organizations that I've been a part of, I advise a few nonprofits. I am on the board of a nonprofit that focuses on after-school programs for kids who are in middle school and don't have a lot, and they're going to schools that are pretty um, underserved. I just saw how hard the pandemic was hitting everybody from kids who had to wait for their mom to come home from work of, from her overnight shift so that they could use her phone to do their homework because they didn't have a computer, they didn't have reliable Wi-Fi. And I've heard these stories to work with organizations that helped survivors of domestic violence, organizations that helped undocumented immigrants. All of these communities were just hit incredibly hard and still are because of the pandemic. I got hit a little bit hard, you know, like we all did. But these communities, it's like life and death every single day. And I just didn't really see or hear that conversation happening. And at the state level, at the local level, everybody was all saying, everybody, I mean, like elected officials or people in the in the arena. Oh, well, we just need to get back to normal as quickly as possible. And I just think like that's just a dismissive statement where normal February of 2020 was still pretty damn bad for a lot of people. It's like, we got to go, we got to do better than normal because otherwise we're going to, you know, we have like this once in a generation traumatic event that has set back people who already set back so much more. And as I thought about it more and more, you just said, you know, I just need to throw myself in there and have 
if nothing else, raise these things, right? And start this conversation. Raise that say, awareness. We need yeah. to go beyond that. Yeah, raise that awareness. And so, you know, I decided to launch this year. I'm still running. I've gotten a lot of great support, which has been great. We have right now nearly 700 individual contributors that are part of our campaign. I am not taking any corporate money. I'm not taking any oil money. I'm not taking any kind of like big money that unfortunately funds most political campaigns out there right now just because I want to do it different. I want to do it right. And I'm being outraised like 10 to 1 by my opponents who are taking checks from anybody. But I think that's part of the problem. So I want to do it differently. That's inspiring. I became, I don't know when you became a U.S. citizen, but I became a U.S. citizen quite recently, back in 2018, actually. I've been thinking a lot about how I can contribute, just on a local level, especially. I think that's where a lot of times you can have the the most impact, right? It's just your local communities, like what you were saying before with your mom. Yeah, I would encourage you to follow that hunger pang, because I think most people don't do it because it is scary. And and people think like, well, I have to know exactly what I need to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> I've never run for office. I've never done all these things. And I could just very honestly say that I oftentimes am very nervous about what I am doing. And I'm like, am I doing something that I've now made speeches in front of people in picnics telling them why they should listen to me about all these issues? Like yeah. the imposter syndrome on that is real, right? And I just have to constantly check it. Right, I say, no, not right now, because otherwise I'm not going to do anything. There's a lot of this, like, who are you to be out there saying these things and telling people to listen to you? And it's like, who do you think you are? Right. And unfortunately, I've had a lot of people in the current system right now tell that to me, uh, to my face. They're just saying, like, why do you think you're so special that you can do this and run for this and do this? And very surprising, like, you know, just like out of nowhere. But I think you just need people who just say, you know what, I'm just going to try regardless. Yeah. I don't know how to do it. And you don't have to do something like I did, but you could just start small and just vote, you know, to be honest. Like a lot of people don't vote in local elections. And so then these things around, okay, what gets taught in schools? What kind of taxes get levied? How are renters treated differently than homeowners? All of these things are local issues. And they get decided by the people who have the time, the privilege, the money to make those decisions. Funny enough, it was something that Tess and I explored when we were at Haas. It's like, how do we get more people engaged in local politics? There was like this terrible statistic where I believe it was Houston is the mayor of Houston was elected by only 10% of the people of Houston. When you look at Houston, it's just a huge city, right? Only yeah. 10% of eligible voters there got to select who was going to be the person that made all these huge decisions for everybody else. Right. And when you break down that number of 10%, vast majority were much older, white, affluent. And so when you think, why is my community how it is? Why are some people that I know need help not getting the help that they need? And who's making the decisions? And who's voting for the people who's making the decision? And who's funding the people who's making the decisions? That's the story, right? That that unfortunately is is common everywhere. So you know, I encourage you to like, and I'm here to help in any way. I don't know if I can. If you ever thinking like, I want to do something then chase that as much as you can or talk to people who are, who are on that path too. That's a powerful message for our listeners and our Hossies. <laughs> Absolutely. And if, you're, and if you're interested in helping me out, you can go to ZapataForSenate.com and uh, you have more information there about what I'm running for and what I stand for. We'll definitely put that information, the link in the uh, description of this episode. Last question. Yeah. This is a, this is a fun one that my, one of my co-hosts actually likes to ask. 
I, I started adopting it, which is what are some things that you're looking forward to the rest of this year? Ooh, that is a good question. Or then, you know, next year even. What are the things you're looking forward to? Just like anything or personally anything. what I'm looking forward to? Yeah, Ooh. personally. You know, you ask a good question when you, 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 the other person has to wait a second to, to think it through because it's so good. Very selfishly, I am looking forward to my son being able to get a COVID vaccine. So right now he's five years old. I think it was just a couple of days ago, Pfizer submitted the information to, to be reviewed. So it could be soon. You know this because you're a dad. It's uh, kind of all the things that you hope for and worry about are about them. And so that's really it right now because I'm thankfully vaccinated. My wife's vaccinated. He's not. And so, and we all read the news. I don't think that we're going to reach herd immunity because some people just have, they decided not to go down that route. And that's their choice. God bless America. But that does impact my kid because he can't, he doesn't have it. Once he does, you can rest assured he's going to be first in line. And to get something that's approved and ready for him. So that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. Because that's also going to allow us to just reconnect with our family so much more, right? Like, so yeah. my parents, they're still half in Mexico, half in the U.S. Right now, only I'm visiting them because I'm just being very cautious. But I can tell you, they are just itching to see their grandson again. They haven't in a long time. My sister, she's in Illinois, and we're not doing a lot of air travel for the same reason. Once he's there, we'll... We would love for her, for them to see, you know, my son. So that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to. And I'm just like looking forward to seeing what the rest of the year holds. You know, if the last year have taught, has taught me anything is you just can't be prepared for, for everything. You just have to be ready for the change. So we'll see. For state Senate, is it by district or is it just across the board? It is by district. So, okay. So I can't vote for you. Unfortunately, you can't vote for you. You can still send me money though. Will do. I say that half jokingly, but, but uh, you have to be in the district to vote for the state Senate. But if you're if you're a U.S. citizen or a green card holder anywhere in the U.S., you can donate. Which district are you representing? 10th district, the 10th Senate district. It consists of Hayward, Castro Valley, San Lorenzo, part of San Leandro, Newark, Milpitas, Union City, Santa Clara, Fremont, and a sliver of northern San Jose. All right. It's big. Love it. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. Jaime, this is a real pleasure. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. It was a good chat. We got work to do. <laughs> it's good That's to right. work, listeners. Right. <laughs> Love it. Thanks again, Jaime. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. <laughs>